Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and armchair military strategy. We are your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 312. So before we get started, I just wanted to uh, give a uh, thank you to everyone who joined us last Saturday for our TIG welding stream. We had a bunch of people show up, and it was a ton of fun. We spent about two hours, maybe a little bit longer, welding, and uh, the results were actually pretty good for what our anticipated results were. I thought it was going to be like way worse than it actually ended up being. Both of our results were like, okay, this is not bad. We can do this. Yeah. We can totally stick metal together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Neither one of us choked too hard during any of those no. welds. I I only dipped the uh the tungsten into the uh my puddle only once. I did it I did it twice, but for like an hour I I didn't have any problems like that and then like did it twice in a row right after that. Well that yeah, fatigue sets in. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Did yours get stuck enough where you had to like snap it off? Oh no 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 no! Oh mine mine I mine went like diving in. <laughs> you welded the electrode to your. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've I've dipped my electrode so many times that like I've got this reflex now where it's like dip and then I just pull it out and let go and I'm like okay I'm done because it's annoying to have to unscrew things get your pliers out and stuff so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I I got lucky. <laughs> But yeah, no, it turned out it turned out well. I was super happy. Parker and I, we we did a bunch of small welds on um, uh, some practice coupons, and then we made some little pyramids. Which, yeah, some pyramid. That, that kit was kind of cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's a great little practice kit. And I would say that was really like we should. We did that last because we wanted the welds to look good, and they did. Except that by then we had already been welding for like an hour and a half. Yeah. And so it was really in it. So what we were doing is we had a, a piece of steel that we got a kit that you fold up into like a triangle pyramid. There's a special name for that kind of pyramid. Yeah. It's the pyramid with the base is also an equilateral triangle. Yeah. I don't remember what that is. I'll look it up. Instead of a square like the Egyptian pyramids. Uh, let me look it up. Anyways, and so you can weld all the corners up and you get a really nice like practice piece because you can't um, tetrahedron tetrahedron. Okay. Yeah. Um, is you uh, you have to weld either going down or up on every single weld. <laughs> right. But and it's not exactly down or up. It's it's down up 3D at an angle. Yeah, and uh, it was fun. But after it's that was, yeah. Also, trying to dodge a, a webcam uh, is is <laughs> really hard <laughs> At too. The same time, yeah, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. But that was fun. So thanks to everyone who uh, joined us, and I'm sure we will do more things like this in the future. So stay tuned. Yeah the the next TIG welding stream we don't have a date yet for it, but what I want to do is. Um, I have a gas can holder I want to weld up for my Jeep that I want to build out of like angle iron and I'm going to design it all up and probably Autodesk Fusion and then uh, I'll make all the cuts like cut all the pieces and then we can weld it up on the stream um, 
that's what I'm probably going to do next time we have one of these TIG welding streams. So, I have some ideas for some uh, projects myself too, but I haven't decided on any. So before we have another stream, I'll uh, I'll come up with something to do, something that's less practicey and more like practical. Yeah. In the meantime, we're still going to keep practicing because, um, it's still one of those. At the end of the day, it's like. My well, it would look so much better if I just migged that, mig welded it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I noticed that was different between ours is the stacking of the dimes. Like, we actually did get some pretty good ripple and stuff, but your stacks were a lot bigger than mine, and mine were a whole lot more, a lot finer, which means that I'm moving less and dipping more often, but dipping a lot less. So you're making larger moves and feeding a bunch and a large moves. That's that's what I was doing. And I was yeah. doing the exact opposite. Uh, and so I, I want to kind of practice your way just to like get a feel for what both look like. I don't know which way is better. I don't either. Because <laughs> um, I, I was kind of doing the same motion I do when I MIG weld where I'm kind of like wiggling the torch and kind of like it, like a, a continual cursive E. Mm. And then uh, basically when I would go uh, forward, I would pause just a bit the dab and then circle back around to kind of blend it back into the weld. Um, Cause that's kind of what, what they call that. Um, this got a special term for it in MIG welding. We, that's how you like stitch, you know, an overlap joint or something like that together. Right. Or different uh, thicknesses of material. You sweep you sweep up into your thin material and then stay longer in your thicker material, stuff like that. Um, seems to be a pretty good technique. So. Yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting because every, every weld I did the other day, I did straight lines. I didn't do any kind of circle mo- motions or anything like that. And I would control the size of things based off of the angle of my my torch was I pointing more at you know a thicker piece or a thinner piece or controlling yeah. my amperage to uh, change the size of the web pool. Yeah, because that was so I wasn't even controlling the amperage at all. Oh, you were just going a full hundred hundred percent. Yeah, so I would adjust my so I would do a little test spot and figure out what kind of amperage I would need and adjust the machine for that. Mm. Um. I still don't have the dexterity down on my foot to properly do like the full 70, full 70 kind of thing, the pulsing basically. Um, So that was kind of like a hack around it, maybe. I don't know. The welds turned out pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they look fantastic. And then like afterwards, I took a big sledgehammer to them and I could not get them to break apart. So they look they look fine. Um (laughs) They're definitely not Instagram welds, that's for sure. No. Yeah, I I, I want to get before the next stream too. I want to get one of those like finger controls. Because actually, I did was practicing that kind of like if I had a fake finger control. Like, could I still maneuver the torch in the way I needed it to, and like vary my finger pressure? Mm-hmm. And I I was able to do that. I'm like, that's way easier than no foot control, <laughs> at least for me. So cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Thanks everyone for showing up. We'll do it again. Um, so on with the podcast, I guess. Uh, so this is a article that, um, one of our friends, uh, uh, Smith, 
Mike Smith sent us. And I thought it was really interesting because it was one of those, like, I said, uh, I want to comment more about industry news on the podcast. And he was like, bam, slap this thing down. And I'm like, <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> um, and it's a it's a spicy one. Um, so the article title is Destroy TSMC if China invades to make Taiwan unwantable, says U.S. military paper. Um. So it says a U.S. military paper. It's not like the U.S. military says this. It's like it's a paper that some people in the military wrote. Probably has like a thought experiment or some, or a, an opinion piece or something like that. I'm sure there's a bazillion documents out there that like if this country's invaded, open this envelope and it'll tell you what to do. You know, like <laughs> I guarantee you there's all kinds of contingency plans for everything. Probably. Um, but what this basically, I haven't read the actual paper. I just read this article about the paper. Yeah. Um, but the idea is uh, to destroy the economic reason for West Taiwan to want Taiwan. Um, <laughs> and it's written by Jared McKinney and Peter Harris, for those that want to look up those people. Um, but basically, it goes into kind of like the history of how Taiwan has been able to maintain its sovereignty in the fact that you know u.s military just kind of parks a big aircraft carrier offshore and uh the projection of power basically um preventing uh china from invading and capturing taiwan um so how so this paper basically goes into how do you keep taiwan sovereign and free and not enter world war three <laughs> at the same time <laughs> um and what would a invasion of Taiwan have its like my thing when I read this was well we already have an unstable global electronic supply chain how more worse can it get <laughs> much worse right yeah a lot worse <laughs> I mean everyone's having problems but uh, I mean th right now when it comes down to sourcing electronics the the answer is like eventually you'll get what you want I think this yes. paper is more uh, that eventually becomes a lot longer. Yeah. And then it also goes into, um, you know, what if China just wants Taiwan because they believe uh, Taiwan belongs to them, which is what they, that's what the CCP believes. Um, and what the idea be behind destroying uh, TSMC in that regards is it basically would shut down all their high-end military chips because all that stuff comes from TSMC right now. And so it would be China going into a big war effort and then they can't make anything anymore, at least the high-end stuff. Um, you can make AK-47s in your you know basement and garage. So it doesn't prevent that, but it prevents high-end military airplanes and tanks and that kind of stuff being manufactured. Um, but on the global electronic supply side, I had to look it up, but I, I wanted to see um, kind of like who TSMC makes chips for. So TSMC is like a one of the premier chip manufacturers. They don't really design their own chips. I'm sure they do. But they're mostly known for being a contract chip manufacturer for a lot of chip designers. Mm -hmm. um, 
Notably, I think Apple is their biggest customer right now. I think Apple is like 30% of their revenue. And because uh, Apple, they have those new, like all their chips in the in their iPhones, for example, are Apple chips. But Apple doesn't own a chip fab. They contract that out to TSMC, yeah. for example. So you have Apple, AMD, NVIDIA. And so when you go down that list, you're like, okay, those aren't um, like if Apple, AMD, and NVIDIA couldn't get chips anymore because TSMC got blown up, right? It wouldn't have really affect us in terms of like you and I, Stephen. Oh, like, as we don't mean as designers. I mean, like then. it would affect us in terms of like we can't get chips oh, for yes, our computers yes. and things like that when we're trying to Correct. buy a computer. But like right. our designs, right. we don't typically use those kind of those really high end chips. Um, but then what's also on this list is Broadcom, mm. which Raspberry Pis. <laughs> that's the one thing that's going to affect us. <laughs> well, that's like the first one on the list. So I'm like, well, yeah. I don't buy Apple devices. Um, I buy Intel CPUs. And then uh, I do have an NVIDIA graphics card, but you can't get those anyways, no matter what right now. So it doesn't really affect me. TSMC has, gosh, it's not, I don't remember the number. I'm trying to look it up right now, but it's like 20 different fabs in Taiwan. It's an enormous yeah. amount. And they have, in fact, I'm, I'm looking here. Uh, what is it? Uh, four gigafabs that are 300 millimeter wafers, four 200 millimeter wafer fabs, uh, yeah, so this is, this is so those four I listed yeah. are they're doing the high end small nanometer stuff. This is not even getting to everyone else that's using their large nanometer scale stuff, like right. forty five and and larger, which is what stuff that Stephen and I use all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, your jelly bean stuff. Yeah. So I'm sure they make they. I mean, they make a ton of stuff. Let's just be. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to bet you like Silicon Labs is probably on that list. And NXP, uh, some of their stuff is on there. Um, yeah, NXP, yep. I'm trying to see, like, I'm trying to see what other names that we would just know right off the top of our head is just made. Is Allegro on that list? I'm not seeing that, but uh, what is it? Uh, Altera, some analog devices. I don't know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Basically, I think probably any single fabulous chip manufacturer or chip maker probably has something made at TSMC. Yeah, there's. I'm sure there's a lot of cross pollination with all that. This is a very interesting question to ask. Uh, ask electrical engineers, I guess, is where does your morals lie on this kind of stuff? Is would you be willing to give up all that? Um, for the freedom of a country, basically. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know what's interesting is I so I'm looking at the um, I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page for TSMC, and it says that their their revenue in uh, what is it 2020? Their revenue was 1.33 trillion, and if you go to Taiwan and look at the GDP, uh, the nominal GDP for the country is. 759 billion so like just tsmc itself 
their revenue is larger than the GDP of the entire country. So yeah, it's obvious yeah. that like that's the thing that you 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 know like well, it's part of the thing because. But it's it's kind of the thing. <laughs> it's part of it. Um, and so, and this is also another thing to think about is uh, TSMC. Uh, uh, TSMC has a lot of U.S. company IP as well. This is actually not touched in this paper, but what I thought about is that there's a lot of IP that basically, let's just say China took it over. Now, the Chinese government has your IP for your high-end microcontroller or high-end CPU now. And uh, that's that's probably making a lot of uh, a lot of business people squirm a little bit. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure yeah, I'm sure people are sweating it. But at the same time, I you know, I would not be surprised if we have a few choice nuclear subs floating around over there, you know, just keeping peace. Yeah. Um so it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes forward. Um because it would it's one of those like what's worse? China taking over Taiwan and and or is it not being able to buy microcontrollers for another couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's tough. There's not. There's not a really easy answer to. There's that. no. There's no solution. But because the right now it's just been status quo for like the past twenty years, and that's also not a really good like situation to be in, right? You know, and I'm parking also, aircraft carriers off the coast of and basically like you better not come over here. You know? <laughs> what if they do come over there? What are you gonna do at that point? Well, that's when it gets real sticky, right? You know? Yeah. How many how many uh I was looking this up the other day, not necessarily wars, but confrontations uh start with with you know a a, a simple target being attacked. Uh, we've had multiple in in our history as uh, as mm-hmm. the United States, where it's like a boat gets sunk with some uh, with some Americans on it, and we go to war because of that. And like, there's there's plenty of reasons, yes and no, around those kinds of things. So like, when when tensions are high, it doesn't take much to spark a fire. Uh, yeah, I would say Taiwan is probably going to be our generation's. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, probably. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm hoping it never gets that tense, but I could easily see it being getting that way. You know, I also wonder, like, if if something like this were to be enacted, would they just instantaneously destroy all the fabs uh, and try to do it all in one sweeping mo- uh, movement? Just like get it all done, or or are there like a handful of the fabs that are the most uh, desirable? So in other words, like take out five of the top fabs and then the, the remaining 15, is that still uh, worth invasion? It's partially about the economic reason. How, what Chris in our chat brought up too, and I brought up earlier is the CCP, they believe that Taiwan is still is actually part of China right now. Right. Like that's what they believe. And, um, and like, a lot like when you listen to a lot of pol- politicians talk about they try to dance around whether or not they call it China or they call it Taiwan. There's a whole kerfuffle what earlier la- or late last year about that. Yeah. Where we had a uh US oh 
a U.S. diplomat called Taiwan, Taiwan. So, <laughs> I mean, economically, they're treated separately. Yes. Hmm. I don't know. That's scary. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I think it, I think it's going to it will probably escalate to that because um, there's also. Uh, we talk about a little bit like Ukraine and Russia right now. Um, I honestly think with that, this is my personal opinion, nothing with MacFab or anything like that or Steven. I personally think the U.S. will probably stay out of that. Um, but Taiwan, on the other hand, there's a the U.S. has vested economic interests in Taiwan being Taiwan. And same thing with South Korea being South Korea. So, yeah, as Chris said in chat, Taiwan could be a smoking pile of rubble and China will still want it because they have to save face. Uh, well, I think it may be more than save face. I think it would if if there was something of to happen, uh, it kind of goes back to your uh, what you were saying earlier about ethics and morals. It's like not even ethics and morals they just believe it's theirs so like regardless yeah. of its state it's it's theirs in their mind so you're preventing them from having it but it's also you're making sure they don't have that economic advantage at that point by getting rid of it um so yeah it's interesting to think about um everyone out there that's listening to this podcast um think about when you buy that next piece of that component or buy that next thing on amazon that's made in China. Maybe you can shop around and find something that's not. That's maybe made in Taiwan or maybe United States or Mexico or Canada. There are alternative sources. China's not the only place. Um, and that is not a don't buy anything from China because there's sometimes you need to buy something and that's the only place. Totally understandable. But where you as an individual can hurt uh the CCP the most is with your wallets. So, hmm. I don't know. Let's. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. But like, I, this is this is a a hard topic. Um, that's that's nervous laughter, by the way. Yeah, I. Why? Yeah, it's I, not I wish it could just be peace. <laughs> me too, and that's man. Wouldn't life be so much better if that would be the case? Okay. All right. I've downed myself. <laughs> on to the next one. All right, let's 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 move on to something by way, completely I, different. I'd love to talk about this in, in our Slack channel, by the way, because this is a very interesting topic. Um and I'd love to hear what other people have to say about it. Um Yeah, for sure. Next topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's let's uh let's change this up a bit. Um I'd um so I've got something that I've I've been wanting to make for a while now, and I actually have a reason why why I need it. Um, I I actually just need what I'm calling the mega load resistor, which I just need a giant low valued resistor for doing some tests on some amps that I have. Uh, so most of most of my amps have uh, outputs of two, four, uh, eight, or sixteen ohms, and for the most part, the only loads I actually have for most of my amps that can handle the output power are actual speakers. And I don't want to do any really heavy testing with speakers that are just continuous 200 watt, you know, uh, for you, obvious you reasons. Sh 
Man, you can make your neighbors love you. Oh, they yeah, absolutely. You know what's what sucks is um so my basement is a walkout basement. It goes right to my backyard. I've got kind of got lucky with that. But that also means that like if I'm really super loud, my neighbors can still hear me on that. Uh so I I don't get super loud very often. It's a it's a rare occasion and it's it's fun for a short period of time, but I just don't do it very much. Now, here's the thing. I had a I had a a friend of mine purchase an old amp and was like, Hey, will you take this amp? Will you fix it up a little bit for me and just take a look at it? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I got it. I did a a bit of a rest restoration on it. It had a bunch of unsafe stuff in there because it was just old and just a bunch of stuff that was scary. Oh, the, like it had the death cap. It had the the death cap, just a two prong cord. Uh, and then like the fuse was on the neutral, uh, and there was just like a handful of other things that were just like, Oh, I don't like this. Also it runs 750 volts and there was a lot of wires that were close to the chassis at 750 volts. So like I rewired a big chunk of it just to be like, eh, I don't like this. This is not cool. Uh, I gave it to the guy and, uh, and he took it and like the very first thing he did was he spent an entire day recording on it. He had this amp. It's 150 watt just monster amp he had it running full tilt like dimed like the peg all the knobs for everything at 11 at everything at 11 for eight solid hours now i mean it wasn't producing sick you know signal wasn't going through it all yeah. all those times but he had it for eight hours doing that um and i'm guarantee you this guy's deaf but uh regardless he had this thing completely juiced uh, and records an entire album on it and was like, man, this thing is great. Thanks so much. This is awesome. And then a week later, uh, I start getting texts from him. Dude, it's blowing fuses. What's up? Uh, I'm like, oh, great. Of course. So like I, we end up finding out that he, his buddy bought him a guitar pedal and he plugs this guitar pedal in and the first note he plays, it just, the amp blows a fuse. So like a regular thing mm. that goes in the front blows a fuse on this he tried like three different fuses uh and it blew consistently so it's like oh there's something wrong with the amp man can you fix it it's like i really don't think there's something wrong with the amp i don't think i did a bad job on this one and so i go pick up the amp and i get a text the day after i pick up the amp so the, this one that blew up is in my hands um i get a text from him and he's like hey man i plugged that pedal into another amp and it's blowing fuses too now. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I see what's going on here. So I'm actually going to pick up that pedal. Cause I've never, this is never once have I ever had that happen. I've never seen a pedal cause an amp to blow a fuse. So I'm, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it's just outputting nine volts, just straight up. Like the, it's just a battery on your nine input. volt sine wave coming out of it. Yeah, just well, not even, not a sine wave. I'm talking about just straight up 9-volt DC, and that just might just cause the amp to go into it just re-biases the amp to just be shorted <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I have no idea. So, regardless, I've got this amp that I that it's it's still working. I just need to go and like double check it and give it back to him. But what I realized is all that story to be said, I don't have a load for something like a 150 watt amp. And for like two or three seconds, I can take an amp like that and put it, ping it maximum and, and listen to it for a second. And then, you know, be like, Oh my God, that's louder than I need right now. But for like prolonged full volume test on any of the amps I make, I don't have that. Uh, so all this to be said, like this whole story is just, I want to build the mega load resistor, which is just, like 
I don't know, maybe like a thousand watt two, four, eight, tw- uh, 16 ohm resistor, something like that. Something that I can be confident of putting a signal source into an amp, turning the amp on maximum, and just dumping it into a resistor. I can be confident that it's not going to catch on fire and it'll just sit there and cook all day long. Uh, you know, 150 watts or something like that. And I would love to get that pedal from my buddy and test it on this 150 watt amp without me having to have speakers be the actual load. Like, I'm not doing that. Uh, so what it boils down to, it's easy to make just a bunch of resistors in series, right? Okay, whatever. I can make a 2 ohm or a 4 ohm or whatever. My question is, I've, I've been looking for resistors out there that, that suit this need. I can buy a 300 watt one ohm resistor and put two of them in series and have a 600 watt two ohm uh, resistor, right? I, I, could, I can do that if I wanted, but would it be better to buy a bunch of 50 watt resistors and spread them out? Would it be better to buy a whole bunch of one watt resistors and spread them out? Or is it better to concentrate all the heat into a resistor that's rated for that heat? And, and I guess I really don't know the answer to that. What's I, I would say better? it comes down to the parasitics. Uh, just like the, the additional capacitance and inductance that gets yeah. added in there i mean I they're so the minor the day, that i don't like i don't think that that matters right so i think in the end it probably doesn't matter as long as the concentrated one is also rated for what you need and it has the surface area to radiate and usually usually resistors are rate at least power resistors are rated at a constant wattage yeah so like at a, at a temperature right it's like you know 70 fahrenheit is usually what they rate them to yeah right. um so it's like at 70 Fahrenheit, it's rated at 50 watt, or 50 watt dissipation. And there's a right? derating curve, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say as long as you're in that. Then it doesn't matter, it right? It doesn't matter um, for this application. Because there might be some applications where like, oh, I need it to be super skinny and long. And so I'm going to chain a bunch together, right? Yeah. But I would all, I, one question I have about this is, are, is that an actual decent representation of a speaker no it's actually a really bad representation yeah because a speaker is not a constant in impedance curve uh it will like a lot of times like when you say an eight ohm speaker you're sort of averaging out its whole curve in a way but it's eight ohms at steady state pretty much it it will be eight ohms at maybe two or three frequencies because it, every speaker curve has like a, a resonance point and then it trails mm-hmm. off and does some other stuff at high frequencies. So uh, it will be eight ohms somewhere. It might be somewhere on that resonance peak. But but the whole thing is like the, where that whole curve lies in in is around eight ohms. So it's safe to design with eight ohms in mind and okay. and that will work. So... For long-term testing, where you're not, where you're testing the uh, uh, viability of the components inside the amp, it's safe to use a constant resistor, in my opinion. Uh, now, I have seen people purchase like just the drivers and not have them connected to a cone, and then drive that so you can get more of a uh, of a um, 
a, a representation of the yeah. curve, right? The impedance curve. I don't care that much. I just want resistance. I just want something that I can just dump heat into for a few hours. Yeah. So I can you want to you want to load up your your drive tubes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because if I'm manufacturing amps, I'm thinking. Uh, so every amp I manufacture, I always play on, but I I rarely take them to maximum for a very long period of time, mainly because I don't want to sustain that. But I'm thinking if I'm manufacturing them, it would be nice to torture test every amp I make for say like 10, 15, maybe 30 minutes where, you know, take a, take a, uh, a sweep generator and have it sweep frequencies nonstop at maximum volume for 30 minutes. It, can it survive that? Sure. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So regardless, I just want to make like a big chunk of something with a bunch of resistors tied to it and it goes to a quarter inch cable. But it just had me thinking like, is it better to buy fewer resistors or more resistors? And, uh, what is the trade off between that? I guess it's just spreading out your heat, right? Yeah. More I don't think it matters area. in the end. Yeah. Oh, for sure, it doesn't matter for the from the amp side. The amp doesn't care. <laughs> like it's just like yeah, that's a big old eight. No, no, resistor. I'm saying this from a dissipation standpoint. It probably, they're probably it does matter. But a lot of times when you look at power resistors, again, they're rated for whatever wattage at, and you have to look up whatever standard it was tested to. Like, yeah, is it like enclosed in chassis or exposed to like just the room, basically? You have to look at that, what standard it was tested. Maybe I just get the big ones and put them in a bucket of mineral oil and uh, and just leave it like that, right? <laughs> leave it outside? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. That's the mega load resistor. I got to go. I got to go buy some resistors and just solder it up. What would um, you could just do a big coil of wire into a bucket and just cut it to length. Yeah, cut it to length. Yeah. I, I do. I, well, I mean, that's I, what the speaker does. <laughs> effectively, yeah. Um, I was thinking uh, just making one long string of resistors and having different taps for 2 ohms, 4 ohms, 8 ohms, 16 ohms. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I can select it based off of any amp that comes in. Because I'm doing repairs on a fairly regular basis now. Mainly, I have a handful of friends around here in Denver that are all like, oh, yeah, if something's broken, go to Steven. He'll fix it. And, and I'm that kind of guy that's like, every single time I get an amp, I'm like, this no. is the last one. And then they're like, it's broken. I'm like, okay, I'll fix it for you. So like, But like, it would just be nice to have these I'm, utilities. I'm, not with, I'm, the, I'm that with cars. Oh, yeah. If your buddy's like, hey, Parker, will you come fix this? You're like, yep. Yeah. Yep, you will. Fine. Bring it to my house. <laughs> the The problem with, um, because you always have, they have to like, they leave the amp with you, mm -hmm. which is fine because like most people don't need their amp with them all the time. Oh, right. Yeah, but cars are. Whereas a car, especially here in Houston, you need to get around. And so a lot of times I'm like, I have like a checklist of what I won't do because I know I can't do it that in like one day. Right. So, um, but like if, it, if I'm like, okay, I can get that done in like three hours. Yeah. You can come over and bring the parts and we'll wrench on it. But, uh, but I'm like, if it, if, uh, yeah, if it takes more than a day, no, you're not parking your car here. <laughs> so, okay. Next topic. This one will be fast. Uh, this is this is a PSA to everyone. Uh, Public service announcement. 
and it, 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 I don't, I don't know if you've ever run into this, Parker. I doubt it because this seems to be like an audio thing. This seems to be like a musical instrument thing, but like, okay, gooped electronics. You ever, have you ever run into gooped electronics? Do you know what, it, what I mean by gooped electronics? You talking about this? Don't goop your electronics. Gooping your electronics goop is a brand of adhesives. No, no, no. Okay, so goop electronics is when you purposefully put like epoxy or paint or something over your electronics to make sure that people can't see what it is or or know oh. what the circuit is. Yeah. Okay, I've run into that before. Yeah. Don't goop your electronics, guys. Just just don't. If you're manufacturing stuff for this reason. Well, there's reasons to do that. No, otherwise. okay. Well, okay. No, there, there's plenty of reasons to apply epoxy or or things to your electronics or to you know pot them or anything like that. But don't just trying to like keep your trade secrets by just pouring a bunch of black goop all over it or or other methods. Like if somebody wants to reverse engineer your circuit, they're they're gonna do it. Just don't I don't try to protect your secrets by making it annoying. Um, and, and, and here's, here's the story. I'm not going to call out the company here because I, I don't want to, but, uh, it's just, I had another amp that another friend brought to me. Uh, and this was a very high end one, many thousands of dollars, uh, power transformer bit the dust on this thing. Magic smoke. Okay, great. Whatever. Power transformers are, are replaceable, but because it's a very nice amp and a very nice power transformer, I wanted to replace it with as close to the original as possible because that can have effects on the sound and that's not what the person paid. The person isn't paying me to replace it with something that changes its sound. They're having me repair it. I have tried for two months to get in contact with the company to just ask, hey, I'm repairing this. I'm not trying to figure out your amp. I'm not trying to do anything special here. I'm just trying to repair for a buddy. Can you give me specifications? Can I purchase a transformer from you to replace this? Like, I'm literally just trying to fix it. I, I've gotten, they won't answer my phone calls. They won't email me. There's just nothing whatsoever. And uh, the, the, on the transformer, they had painted over part numbers on it. So you can't yeah. see any of that stuff. And finally today, I was just like, you know what? I got a brand new thing of acetone. I'm just going to go at it. And it took the paint right off and I got to see the part numbers on it. And, and of course it's a, it's a from a transformer company that's no longer around, but I can get the specifications and I can find a suitable replacement that it's not as perfect as getting exactly what I'm looking for. I would love to yeah. get one from the manufacturer, but like if you're going to do things like goop your electronics so that people like me can't find out what things are and then have no customer service, like it doesn't, doesn't really reflect well on your company. Uh, so I don't know. Like in my opinion, that's just not very helpful. I'm not here to make money off of your stuff. I'm literally just fixing it for a friend uh, kind of thing. So I'm going to be able to get it done. If I wanted to reverse engineer your circuit, I could do it. It's not very hard. That's not my intent. That's not what I want to do. So I had to, you know, bust out some acetone and get through your goop to just find out a part number so I can go and fix this thing and get it back to the person who likes your product, you know? So yeah. all said and done, don't goop electronics. There's Especially something too. that's intended to be repairable. Don't goop something that is, has replaceable parts in it, you know? Yeah. Um, there's other reasons to goop stuff like vibration. And, oh, environmental, um, yeah. Environmental and that kind of stuff. But yeah, 
uh, what was it? Uh, the term security through obscurity is not real security. <laughs> that's what, that's right. why um, when in hardware, your schematic is not your trade secret. I am sorry, people out there that have designs. All you got to do is ship that board to a reverse engineering house, and then you got the schematic. Or you just do it yourself, like Steven just said. Yeah. Like, if if your product... I don't want to make this sound super bleak, but if your product is so amazing that somebody wants to reverse engineer it, then putting some crap on your parts is not going to stop them. They'll, They'll just do it. You know, even if it means destroying the thing to get to the parts and see them, they'll, they'll still do it. Yeah. And this is the thing about, um, if you, cause there's some people that will, uh, some manufacturers that will like put paint or laser off the tops of chips. So the paint, you just rub, it just comes off and then you can read the laser marking underneath it. But I have seen some manufacturers laser it off. Um, it's what you can do. You can decap it and then you can figure out what chip it is. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. The, sure. the frustrating part isn't that like I'm not saying don't be proud of your thing or don't want to make money off of your product. Of course do that. But if it is intended to be repairable, don't arbitrarily make it difficult to repair and then mm. don't have terrible customer service <laughs> past that, you know? Are you are you flipping your stance on right to repair, Steven? Oh, uh no, I don't think so. Because you know what? I'm still going to be able to repair this thing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> ah, whatever. So, sorry. I'm, uh, we're, we're getting a little ranty here, but don't goop your electronics is the, uh, is the, ba- uh, the basis. So, uh, I have completed my first project of 2022. Woohoo! My mother's golf cart is now fully operational and ready to go. Like, like ready to done. deliver. Ready to deliver. Nice. So it's all, uh, all the paint's done. It's all assembled back together. All the wiring is good. Um, I drove it 35 miles an hour, which is, by the way, way too fast for a golf cart. Um, That's ripping. And, and so I had to, I had to uh, feature creep the golf cart. I put in a, a user mode selector switch so that it's it's keyed as well. So it has three modes. It has normal, which is capped at like 29, 30-ish miles an hour, which is borderline too fast for that cart. Um, and then there is a warp speed, which is unlimited power, basically, to the motor. It The motor will pull everything. Um it actually has a very interesting mode in that motor controller too called turbo that's also enabled. It's like the you know old 386 or 486 that he had turbo button on it. Oh yeah. So what the turbo button does on the golf cart is um once it uh cuz basically that motor has a uh it's not a permanent uh earth magnet motor uh DC motor on it. It actually has field windings that can be energized. And uh, so you can you can you basically have a field map for your for your electric motor, but 
what the turbo motor does is that high RPM. So once you hit like the cap is it reduces the field voltage. And so you, it could spin the motor even faster <laughs> at much lower torque and efficiency. Right. Like the efficiency like goes through the toilets, but, but the RPM just flies. The up. RPM can shoot like another thousand. <laughs> and that's where you go to from like 30 to 35. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was about to say like incredibly diminishing returns, right? Yeah. Way diminishing returns. Um, Cause like you hit thirty, you get you hit thirty in like, oh man, a couple seconds in that that cart. It's it's that quick, and then to get the thirty five, it takes a lot longer because that the there's just not enough torque to get that faster, um, but it will get that speed. Um, so basically, normal mode it has turbo turned off, and I limited the current a bit, um, so that it's not you know, dumping all like 400 amps into the motor at once all the time. And then it has warp speed, which is turbos enabled all the amperage. Um, and then there's another mode where I'm calling the Kubi cruise mode. So that's when you're like just cruising around the beach and you got your, your, your cocktail. And so everything's like turned way down. Like I turned off, uh, turbos turned off. Amperage is turned way down. The throttle response is like, zero so like it won't jerk around or anything it's for cruising it's a cruising time everything's a bit mushy everything's a bit mushy which is what you want when you're trying to enjoy your drink oh 100 yeah so um that's that's honestly what that cart is used most for is just like cruising out and watching the sunset and then cruising back <laughs> So do you do you, you have don't it need where, to go thirty five miles an hour to do that in in warp speed mode? Do you have it where turbo kicks in at a particular throttle position? It, it automatically does it, mm. and it does it based on speed. So it looks at the field map and RPM. I think because it's just a toggle in the configuration. You can't actually like set the parameters. So basically what it does is it extends the field map out mm-hmm. and drops the voltage from my understanding to the field. And so it allows it to spin faster at much like it it starts to gobble energy. <laughs> yeah. Um because like you, the, in uh, other words, you don't really ever want it to do that. No, you're only doing that because you want to go an extra five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I guess if Which you're running away from it something, it's worthwhile. Yeah, that's so that only doesn't warp speed. And I put it in a key switch. And when you're in normal and Kubi cruise mode, the key is not captive. Because the because there's this key switch has uh I should have the part number. It's a really cool key switch. Um it came with two keys. And so the idea is the golf cart key is also attached to this key, right? So you put your key in. And you can turn it to normal, and it's usually in normal mode. So let's say you want to turn it to Kubi. You put your key in, and you turn it to Kubi, and you can pull your key out, and then you can put your key into the golf cart, right? So you can't... The idea is you can't separate the two keys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in warp speed, the key is captive in it, and so you can't turn on the golf cart. So you have to have the spare key that's not attached to the golf cart key to put it in the warp mode. So it's kind of like a safety... Neck. This, this I don't seems want my like mom a, to accidentally turn it to warp, basically. It seems like a Hollywood activate the nuke kind of situation where you have two exactly. people, you know, on the count of three, yeah. turn the key. <laughs> yeah. 
We got blow, we got blow up TSMC. So <laughs> yeah, take Parker's uh, turbo golf cart all the way over turbo to Taiwan. golf cart. Yeah, um, it is uh, it is it is a blast to drive around. I did find one problem the first uh, first test drive. I have to send. I'll have to post a picture of like it was like half complete. Like I didn't have the front on the golf cart at all like the front housing or like the roof or anything. Like I was still waiting on some, uh, on some fender parts. But I'm like, it's all electrically done. Let's go around the block and make sure it doesn't, you know, burst into flames and, uh, driving it around. And from a dead stop, I just mashed the throttle and it almost wheelied <laughs> the golf cart, almost wheelied. And I was, driving a straight way as fast as I could go on in my uh, neighborhood. And um, it had a slight bend to the road, right? And so I'm like, oh, I'll just turn the wheel. No, you know, just steering yeah, it, right? Correct. Turn the wheel. Correct. Correct steering. Nothing happened. <laughs> okay. And my dad my dad is with me, right? But he doesn't wait, think anything's it almost, wrong it, wait, it almost pops a wheelie with two male Dillmans in it? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now I didn't have the whole front on, so like sixty pounds of stuff in the front's not there. Okay. All right. And um, and so I'm like, I'm like trying to correct it. I'm like, nothing's happening. And then my dad's like, you need to turn. And I, I, I just took the wheel and I spun the wheel, and the wheel just spun around in circles. <laughs> and then my dad's like, uh, and so I hit the brakes, which by the way I already did a brake check. That was the first thing I did. It was like, does the brakes work? Yes. Um, so I hit the brake. Unfortunately, I still hit the curb going like 15 miles an hour. Um, good thing I didn't hit it going 35 because we would have been launched out of the golf cart. Oh, there's no seatbelt. So it, it was like an actual crash. Yeah, I, I, I just curbed it. Oh, okay. so like I didn't even go over the curb. It just bounced off the curb and then into the uh, into the road. Um, basically what happened is on, it can accelerate so hard that the intermediate steering shaft will decouple from the splines. <laughs> so where, cause it, cause it, cause the, the steering box is on the axle itself. And so it, the steering column or steering, uh, rack basically can move up and down with the axle. And, but your steering wheel is, and shaft is like, on the frame. And so there has to be movement in between. So it uses a spline slip shaft to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's spline ship uh, slip shaft came apart and we drove going like 35 miles an hour doing that in the golf cart. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, great thing is all, it was really easy to fix on the road. Cause all I had to do was like lift the front of the golf cart, like, seriously like three quarters of an inch and it's back in <laughs> and so that's what i did uh that was the last thing i had to do was i took the steering shaft i cut it and i added another inch and a half onto it and so i have basically the it's uh now right in the middle nice but the reason why it was never a big problem before is because the the suspension was so blown out on the old on the old setup and it also had 300 pounds of lead acid batteries in it now it has lithium and i think the whole lithium battery pack weighs like i want to say like 90 pounds 
instead of like the original. The original one's like 400 pounds. So you have 300 pound less of battery in it. Wow. So. So it's got a lot more spring in its step. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's it's a blast to drive. Um, I'm going to let my mom drive it with turbo once. And I think she's going to like be like me and be actual like. You have to put the fear into yourself of how scary that thing is to drive because the it's not the speed really. It's just the geometry of that golf cart is not set up to go that fast. Yeah, <laughs> that's way too fast for uh, a golf cart. I mean, and are the, are the tires like, rated for that? Yeah, they're rated for that. Okay, yeah, it's a big problem. Um, the uh, when you go online and. There's a couple different like online forms for for golf carts. Uh, Buggies Unlimited is like one of the big ones, mm-hmm. and people are talking about like, I want my golf cart to go like 45, and I'm like, holy shit, yeah, why? Like, I don't think people real and like my golf cart's only going like 16. I want to go like 45. Yeah. I don't think people realize how fast that is in the golf cart. <laughs> Cars nowadays like decouple you from like reality like so much like because they're so quiet and smooth and everything like the first time i went 85 miles an hour on a motorcycle it's like oh my god like that'll scare you yeah um when i uh uh drove my my dad's new tahoe was like that is i was driving to work and uh i was going 85 and i did not know i was going 85 yeah whereas i drive Either one of my Jeeps and oh, you know you're going, going above <laughs> going above seventy five is 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 something else in a Jeep <laughs> for sure. Yeah, um, and it's it's the noise and just like yeah, it's actually just how smooth it is because yeah, with power steering you don't feel anything. Uh, you don't feel yeah. like well, everything's dampened out now. Oh, it's all electronic. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you don't feel like when temperature changes in the uh, in the in the air, you don't get hit in the face with bugs, you know, like this kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah, when you're when you're out there in uh, in the elements going eighty five or or faster, uh, I, I you know I I I swapped motorcycles. I, I used to ride a cruiser back in college, and I swapped motorcycles with a guy. He because uh, I had never driven a, a crotch rocket, and he had never driven a cruiser. As we were going down the, the freeway, there was no one around. We're, we're doing free race speeds, 65, 70, something like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm on a crotch rocket. I'll give it a shot. And I, and I pulled the throttle, and I, and I just went, went past him. The, it didn't even feel like a few seconds I looked down. I'm doing 110 on this thing. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, that's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Like, no, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. It's it's a relative speed, I guess. I can't imagine what it feels like um, when you're flying, because when when you're a passenger in an airplane, you just look out the window and like, especially like when you're up at up at altitude, it doesn't really feel like you're going six hundred miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um. Whereas I bet you the pilots get more of that because they're facing forward. They can see out forward. Maybe. Yeah. And actually, when you're like near closer to the ground, you're not going as fast anymore, but you can definitely get your speed 
because you have a refer- closer references now. Um, but uh, one time um, I, I went on one of those uh, touristy like airplane rides where I, I flew in a B-17 bomber. And by the way, if anyone gets a chance to do that, it's a lot of fun. Go do it. Um, that feels like you're going a bazillion miles an hour. And you're only going like 300. (laughs) (laughs) Like a 747 feels slower than that B-17 does. Just because of how smooth it is. Noise. Yeah. The noise. um, The fuselage is not perfectly sealed. Everything like that. And by the way, if you ever can do that experience, get in the the nose of the plane. Mm. Because you are... In front of everyone on the airplane at that point, even the pilots are behind you. Right. Yeah. You lead and, the charge. Uh, it, that was, and you can watch all the engines turn on. That's that's another thing. Like, <laughs> you don't want them making that sound. <laughs> well, that's when they start up. Yeah. The uh, um, prop planes. I I I flew in one a few years ago because I needed to hop from one city to another, and it was like a thirty minute flight in a prop plane, and like talk about like vibration and noise and just like not smooth like it's it's insane how smooth and how much comfort there is you know minus the seats in uh modern flights like it's incredible that they can do that uh so you get in an older like just prop plane and it's like oh okay yeah this is yeah now i feel everything it's the the jeep of the skies (laughs) yeah a brick (laughs) with uh with the wings on it yeah (laughs) Uh, I think we're gonna leave that topic off for next week. Yeah, I think yeah, we got we had one more, but we'll push it off. So, well, I'd love to hear um, what people have to say about um, that article, the TSM uh, TSMC article um, that we uh, talked about. Yeah. So, so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel, which you can talk about everything we talked about on this podcast at MacFab.com slash Slack for the free invite. And then if you want to listen to us live stream our recording, That is twitch.tv slash macrofab.